I want to tell you that on the 24th of December, 1995, on Christmas Eve, my world changed forever. I changed forever. I became a dad. I became a father. My eldest was born. I now have four amazing children. Love you, Shan. And not a day passes when I am not shaped and formed by the will for their good. Their every success is a delight. And their pain is mine too. And, and literally, and I'm sure parents, I, I dream of ways within my power and means and within my wisdom and understanding to be a blessing to them. Now, my kids will tell you that there's a serious problem. Uh, they, have a, you know, they will tell you there's a serious problem with my wisdom and understanding. For example, I mean, who of us didn't believe that we were going to be the coolest parents ever? Uh, we were never going to be old and crotchety and, you know, full of, you know, boundaries and all that kind of stuff. We were going to be like these middle-aged teenagers who had teenagers, you know, and we were going to rock this thing until we had teenagers. Now, I mean, those of you got younger kids, even that's a challenge. But, um, yeah, they get to a certain age when they put you in your place. And they don't have to do much. They just have to sigh. Uh, <laughs> or, or look, and, and you realize, actually... I'm a lot older than I thought I was. So my kids will tell you there's a problem. I, I dream of ways within my wisdom and understanding to like be amazing for them. But there's a problem with that. And I also dream of ways within my means and power. And, and again, that's actually so limited, so finite. Just imagine having a father, having a dad who has all wisdom and understanding, who has perfect power and limitless means. And so this morning in these tiring times, when it's easy to get discouraged or frustrated or just worn down and fatigued, I want us to think about enjoying God as Father. Enjoying God as Father. So we're going to go to John 17. And I'm going to read the, the beginning and the end of the chapter. We'll come to parts of the middle a little bit later. So we're going to start at verse 1 because I want you to see that the beginning and the end is connected. The actual uh, text is on the last night of Jesus, literally before he is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be betrayed there. So it's a, it's a major, major moment in the Jesus story. And he has been telling his disciples who've been with him for dinner, and potentially they've, they've already started walking through to the Garden, that he's leaving uh, that the world's going to be a challenging place, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then they hear him pray. And after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven 
and prayed. Abba, the hour has come. We read Father, and in the Greek it's Father, but generally Jesus speaking Aramaic would have used that language of close. And then comes his prayer. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. This is going to be through his death and resurrection. Both honoring the other. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now we go to verse 24. And again, Jesus prays, Abba, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Abba, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them. Many of you have translations just says, I've made you known. Actually, the original says, I've made your name known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I want to talk about enjoying God as Father. We've come to know God. Triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, three distinct persons and yet one God. And I know there's mystery there, but at the same time, we're dealing with the infinite God. And, and there's a sense in which aspects of explaining God should be beyond our capacity. I mean, we are finite. God is not. But we glorify God when we enjoy him. So in verse 3, for example, Jesus describes the life of the ages to come. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And it enters our day and our age and our situation by faith. You see, unlike some of our kind of framework of thinking, eternal life is not something we enjoy once we're dead. In fact, that, it's true, but it's a partial meaning. That idea can even distract from the primary meaning, which is that there is an age to come in which God is fully alive, we're fully alive, and that power and that age to come breaks into the present. And Jesus is praying then and teaching us to pray that our glorious future will come into our everyday presence. So if you think of what heaven would look like, eternal life would look like, the kingdom of God would look like, when you're praying for that to come, you, you're, you're time traveling. You're pulling the future into your present. 
And so Jesus is praying, this is eternal life. He wants, and when we say eternal life, the life of the eternal ages. Wants the life of the eternal ages to break into the present. How does this happen? Through knowing God and through knowing uh, God through Jesus and Jesus himself. And of course, Holy Spirit. He's just been talking about Holy Spirit and his ministry. And so we have this intimate picture of three who know us. And we're called into this. And Jesus says that there's a glory in his knowing God. And he wants to share that glory with us. He wants to start sharing it with us straight away. In other words, this knowing, this eternal life is something that can start now. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's not talking about the future. He's praying for the present. He wants us to start this relationship of knowing God as Father, enjoying God as Father right now. Now, many contemporary interpretations of this passage start jumping around in time. So when Jesus prays that we might share in this glory... We tend to jump into the future. But when he prays for our unity in the rest of the prayer, or when he prays for our safety and protection from the evil one, we think, well, he's talking about now. No, it's, it's all praying for us now. Now, of course, <laughs> the life of the eternal ages, when this age passes, is going to be amazing. It's going to be like an impossible weight of glory. But Jesus is not jumping around in time. He's praying that something so wonderful would step into the present. And he wants us, we really need to see this to enjoy this. This is the word glory. When, when, you, when you think of some, what you're seeing in the Olympic Games and people get that medal and, and you know, there's that cheer and that delight and that breakthrough, it's, it's the glory of victory. They are enjoying it. Glory is not some stuff in heaven that kind of is weird out there. It's the weight of delight, the joy that is there. So when someone's really happy about something, we say they're glorying in that. And so when the Father glories in the Son or the Son glories in the Father, it's just the amount of joy, enjoyment that they literally have in one another. So notice this. His prayer starts with the glory of God in Jesus and ends with the glory of God in us. The Father has so much delight in Jesus, but he also has so much delight in us. So how do we glorify God? Truly, when we come to start enjoying him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we, we glorify him when, yes, we put that into words. We glorify him when we weave that into our behaviors. We glorify him. But ultimately, it's about this place of deep enjoyment. Now, the second thing I want to say is that this shifts the tone of our journey of change. This really helps us change, but it changes the tone, the feel, the atmosphere of how we change. Too many of us think that God has only got one way of helping us change. Now, uh, he, you know, that he must convict us of sin, that we must fill our hearts with sadness 
so that we turn away from the bad stuff that messes with our lives. Now, God does want us to forgive and repent and deal with the bad stuff. But we need to give God more credit than that. He's, he's, a, he's the ultimate good. Uh, he's the ultimate wise one in understanding how to energize and motivate good behavior. You see, if we're only driven by recognizing what's wrong, our focus is in the wrong place. You see, God wants us to recognize what is good and beautiful and great and true. And it's not so much that we spend our time trying to turn away from what's wrong, although when we see it, we must do that. But if we really want to fill our hearts with that which is life-giving, we want to turn towards that which is uh, good and glorious. And so God uses glory and delight because we're not having to spend our time trying to work out all the time what is bad. We shift our focus. We change our atmosphere we direct ourselves to that which is truly beautiful, glorious, and good. What can I take delight in has an enormous effect. What do I enjoy has an enormous effect with how I shape my life. For example, and I might have to pay a fine here, but hey, Josh, you can come for lunch. Um, when Josh was about two or three years old, um, he developed an addiction. And I realized this addiction was rather serious, and so I thought that I needed to have a chat with him. And, uh, and so I sat him down to talk to him about this addiction. It was Teletubbies. And, uh, yeah, this kid just couldn't get enough of Teletubbies as a two-year-old. And, and so at one point I was kind of needing to deal with this attachment and, and everything like that. And, and Josh surprised me because I said to him, you know, boy, I can see you like Teletubbies. And he looked at me and he says, I don't like Teletubbies. Teletubbies love me. <laughs> now, when you realize that someone takes delight in you, it wins your heart. It helps you change. It shifts your behavior. If we spend all our time trying to say no to stuff, we miss the power of that which is glorious to move us to what is good. And so God gets no greater glory than when we realize, as it were, that we can be most satisfied and content in his nature, in his goodness, and in his love. See, if I need to go somewhere else, like I say, God, okay, you're my God, I'm going to try and worship you and do all the right stuff, but actually I need to go somewhere else for enjoyment, somewhere else for delight, somewhere else for Life. So I go to God because I've got to deal with bad stuff. But when I want something nice, I must go somewhere else. Well, then what am I saying about God? So I'm really missing the point. This thing of delight is so significant. And of course, Jesus then in this prayer shows us the greatest reason for glory. The greatest reason for delight is that we have an Abba. We have a Father. And, and the interesting thing in, in uh, from, let's just go to verse 6, and I'll, I'll read uh, verse 6. Jesus says, I have revealed, now most of your translations will say, I have revealed you. But the original actually says, I have revealed your name to those that you gave me out of this world. And if we go to verse 11, for example, he says, Jesus prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And then he says, Holy Abba. Protect them by the power of 
your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world. Now notice this, so that they may have the full measure of my joy in, within them. In other words, the delight, the glory, that's all still part of the sea. Now very interesting is that the, this name is connected. So what does this have to do with uh, the idea of God as Father? Well, interesting in this prayer, according to Jesus one of the most important summaries of his life is that he revealed the name of God. He says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And he points to the fact that he has revealed the name of God as one of the most fundamental things that Jesus in his entire time on the earth has done. He has recognized and given us God's name. But didn't, didn't Israel have God's name already? What's this thing about Jesus has the name of God? What is the name that God has that has been uniquely revealed by Jesus throughout his life? Quite a lot of our English translations just don't even pick this up. They don't even, when, when Jesus says, I have revealed you, they just say revealed you instead of I have revealed your name. Of course Jesus reveals God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he's the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. But what if giving someone a name, what if giving yourself a name or receiving a name is not only to describe yourself, which is a very Greek thought, but in order that others might know you and call you, which is a very Hebrew thought. So that whenever you have a name, it's precisely because there's someone who might use that name. There's someone who will relate to you. So the idea of a name is not just identity, it's also relationship. And the moment there's a name, there's someone who uses that name. And so the name entrusted to Jesus, that Jesus brings from heaven to earth, is Abba. You see, the name that Jesus is praying here, that is entrusted to Jesus, is not the name, the name you've given me, as it were, the name for Jesus that came, you know, like his name, Jesus, or even Jesus Christ. The name that's been referenced here is the name given to Jesus from before the foundation of the earth that he uses for his father, which is Abba. And what Jesus has done, like nobody else, is he's shown us that we have an Abba in heaven. It's the name that comes from the lips of Jesus when he looks into the face of the Father. And he knew we were cut off from that name. He knew we were cut off from that life, cut off from that power. And so Jesus goes to the cross. And as we put our faith in Jesus, his life becomes our life, his righteousness, our righteousness, his identity even as the Son of God becomes our identity as the children of God, and his Abba becomes our Abba. 
And like the parable of the prodigal son, us grubby, lost children from the pigsties of life are welcomed and washed and robed and owned and celebrated by our Abba. And every privilege that belonged to our older brother is now shared with us. Do you understand verse 26 now? I have made your name known to them. They know you're an Abba. They know you are Abba and will continue to make your name known. And then this logic, that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We have many, many reasons to glorify God, to enjoy God. I've just been enjoying God as creator this week, as source, as innovator, imaginator, synergizer. I mean, he does so much. And yet he's sustainer, he's faithful, he carries majesty. But according to Jesus, the greatest discovery that we can make is that the one true living creator God is willing to be your Abba. And this changes the way we worship and pray and pretty much everything else. In Matthew 6, Jesus is redefining and reclaiming spiritual disciplines. And he's talking about giving and he's talking about prayer. And he's talking about fasting uh, with his disciples. And all of them, Jesus explains how they change because we have an Abba. It's the chapter that uses the word Abba most in the whole Bible. (laughs) Why? Because your father sees, your father knows, your father cares, your father loves. Why? Because he is your Abba. Guy Chevroe, a um, theologian and author, says that for many years, his prayer life was an attempt to tell God what to do. And, and he thought, improving my prayer will kind of improve the odds of my will be done in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's very difficult to pray like that and enjoy anything. And then he discovered that God was Abba. And that like Jesus, he could trust him. And he describes how that name changed him. To know and enjoy God as Abba keeps him safe. To know and enjoy God as Abba keeps him faithful. To know and enjoy God as Abba gives him a completely new identity all of which are established in this prayer of Jesus. And so he asks this question. When I come, what matters most? When I come to pray, sorry, what matters most? For God to know what is on my heart or for me to know what is on God's heart? Which will change our prayer the most? There's a classic children's story from Marjorie Williams called The Velveteen Rabbit, where the rabbit is in the nursery of the children's playroom, and the story has the rabbit ask the old rocking horse, what is real? And as the story goes, I'm just going to pick it out. It says this, 
Real is what happens to you when somebody loves you for a long, long time. Real is what happens to you when somebody loves you for a long, long time. And our heavenly Abba says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3 through the prophet, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You want to glorify God, let his unfailing love and kindness come to you. What matters most when you pray? That you say what you want or that you hear what's on God's heart? You can listen to his heart revealed in Jesus and believe with all your heart that he loves you. Jesus is praying, Father, I want the love that you have for me to be in them because I myself am in them. I want the love that you have for me. I want the love that you have for me. I want the love that you have for me to be in them, in them, in them. Can you receive that? Will you let his delight and love come to you in these days? In these challenging times, in these times that want to drain us, distract us. Will you let God's heart shape these moments, these days, these weeks, these months? Jesus prays that so that there would be joy in us, so that there would be delight. 1 John 3 verse 1, beginning of the verse is, you can see (laughs) how big the love of the Father is. How much of it has been lavished. I mean, it's not just poured out, but it's like almost wasted. Like there's so much that it's disproportionate. It's completely too much. You can see how great the love is. Here's how that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What matters most when I pray? It does matter that we are able to take what's in our hearts and give it to God. But far, far greater is that God is able to take what's in his heart and give it to us. What's in his heart? And give it to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we come to you as Abba. Daddy God. Papa. And in Jesus you invite us close to know what is in your heart. A God with perfect wisdom and understanding. A God with all power 
and all means. And we want to come today and let what's in your heart come to us. And so, Father, this morning, in accordance with the prayer of Jesus, we want to see the measure of your light and delight in us. Open the eyes of our heart to see your joy when you see us. Jesus, you prayed that that glory that you had with the Father would be ours in order that the love that is from the Father might be in us. So we receive that love right now. And Lord, if there's stuff pushing back against us, we want to say no in Jesus' name. And Lord, where our experiences of fathers has been less, and all of them are. Lord, we don't want to put Jesus on mute and let our experiences speak louder about your nature than Jesus. So Jesus, we receive from you this work that you have finished in showing us who our Father is. Jesus, you've done an amazing job. So Lord, we want to relinquish, let go of those father wounds and inadequate moments and experiences, even as we honor our fathers. We thank you for them, but we know they'll never match up. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive the love that calls us your children. And that is what we are. That is who we are. Amen.